Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Fintech Ki Baat Dil Se. Today we have with us Mr. Yatir Zaluski, the founder of Confirm You. Confirm You is an Israel-based startup that's now expanding into India. And you know what's special about them? It's the fact that they are able to tell how much is your ability to pay and whether or not you will be a good borrower just by making you play a game. So Yatir, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for joining us. I would quickly love to hear about uh, a bit of your background and what Confirm You does from you. Over to you. Thanks. Thanks, Raiz, for hosting us um, as part of this podcast. Really, uh, Pleasure. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity. So, a little bit about myself. Um, CEO and founder of Confirm You, um, coming from Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, and my my background is a combination of both tech and financials. Um, mm-hmm. Before starting Confirm You, I used to work, um, you know, um, with global MNCs, Israeli tech companies in um, uh-huh. in North America, Europe, and Southeast Asia, helping them, you know, transform their businesses mm-hmm. through change in their um, information system and financial reporting. Um, the way I, you know, came about. To start this venture was, you know, a personal case that I've, uh, you know, experienced here in Israel. Um, my family actually rents um, an apartment in one of the provincial areas of Israel, mm-hmm. and apparently, a lot of people that you know showed up as potential tenants to apply for a rent were people that did not have any bank accounts. Okay. Those people, you know, the paradigm is by landlords that if you don't have any bank account, that you're most likely to be a fraudulent person. And so, so why should I give you my property? You're most likely, you know, to default on the rent. And to some extent, you might also, you know, da- damage the property. I don't want you. So I thought to myself, I mean, there must be a better way to actually democratize this process and to actually help landlords understand that this is a wrong paradigm. Let's try to change that. Back at the time, 2017, 18, I thought that, you know, the best way to engage people would, would be through a chatbot. It's quite fashionable. Why, mm-hmm. why not, you know, post them questions and understand based on their answers, uh, their actual intent. So this is what I started thinking, uh, maybe it was back in 2018. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So I thought that, you know, if we um, look at how people react based on questions, um, we can actually understand their intent. So I've looked at some, um, you know, psychology books and researches, and I found that there is some way, you know, to actually map words, mm-hmm. at least in the English um, language, to okay. an intent. Um, I've came across, you know, basic models in psychology. By the way, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a financial person by uh, my background, but I I came to this research and I thought, oh, nobody's actually doing this. Why not, you know, look at that. Um, During, you know, my research, um, I was approached by a lady who uh, asked me, hey, why don't you have a cool idea? Why don't you come over and, you know, pitch this, you know, as part of a startup bootcamp in London? And so I did, you know, I took the opportunity and came over there and, uh, I pitched this idea, and mm-hmm. a lot of the people that listened to my pitch were people originally from India, staying in the UK, and they told me, wow, this could be a great, great solution, but think of a bigger problem, which is financial inclusion. Right. Uh, 
And why don't you think of India as a good way to start? And so I did. <laughs> the problem is that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you come to, you, you get excited from your ideas and a lot of people don't like it. And, but when you land on the ground in India, um, people told me, look at your, well, that's great. But in India, we have 29 formal languages and 207 informal languages. How could your product scale? Every 50 kilometers in India, people speak different tone and different kind of dialect. How would your product scale? And I thought, okay, this is the time, you know, to think of how to actually pivot this. So I came to an understanding that people actually react better with images and uh, interaction, which are mostly like mm -hmm. game-like uh, closer. And we pivoted a bit and the yeah. next encounter when I came to India was through someone I met, a really, you know, inspiring entrepreneur, uh, Mohammed Riaz of Bridge to Capital. Mm -hmm. And when I landed, he met me at uh, Gurgaon and he took me to uh, um, a tour at a tier four city in Rajasthan. And my encounter was there was quite amazing because he told me, look, I want your game to actually identify for lenders and myself. Who are those people who are most likely to be you know, inspirational, motivated entrepreneurs that, you know, would not uh, walk, you know, after they finish their working day at 5.30 to have uh, dinner at their mother's-in-law. And instead, mm -hmm. I want you to identify people who are, will do anything, you know, to make their business thrive. Uh, and we want to see those people having, you know, skin in the game. So... This is where the first version of the, what we have today, more of a game, you know, came to actual testing in Rajasthan. And the results were quite uh, uh, surprisingly good. And right now, I think we've evolved ever since then. And uh, I think uh, we have a few other uh, customers in India that are quite happy with this and globally. It's not just about India, it's a world uh, known problem where Around 4 billion people don't have access to credit. And I think that through a game, we can actually get to a lot of people that are illiterate and they don't know how to read and write. That's the genesis. But definitely, that is super interesting. I mean, from the problem of uh, not able to give out your place for, place for rental to people who essentially would otherwise be, you know, actually pretty... Uh, what do you say? Pretty trustworthy, but you don't have the... Since they don't have bank account, they are deemed as untrustworthy or uh, basically probably uh, categorized as someone who would probably default on rent and they're not given rent. To identifying an entire market of almost 1 million people who would essentially need credit in the going future. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure you have uh, you have heard this statement when we, uh, like all of us in India as well as in a lot of places in Southeast Asia talk about uh, the next billion, right? Now, the building finances for the next billion. And these are the technologies that will essentially help deeper penetration and these are the kind of entities that will push that inclusion. Because right now if you look at traditional NBFCs in India or traditional banks in India, the lending landscape is so regulated that and there are so many uh, what do you say, uh, guidelines and all of that around it that you wouldn't want to, as a lender, you wouldn't want to take risk in giving loans out to people who are even slightly you know, out of the comfort zone of your organization because ultimately you are uh, you become liable if some uh, essentially a 
basically lending landscape in india right now is such that there are a lot of startups who partner with npfcs and go out and lend right so in this case as a regulated entity now you are the one who becomes responsible for uh, any activity that the startup or your partner uh, does right the loan service provider or digital lending app does so in this case these kind of more and more underwriting uh, what do you say underwriting apps and underwriting mechanisms that come by could actually help push lending to the next billion i mean this is really interesting uh before coming to the india market i would want to take a step back and uh, talk about israel right so a lot of people in india when we talk about fintech we talk about uh, and this is uh, this is not on basis of any bias or something but we always talk about let's say eastern europe we would talk about uh, southeast asia we would talk about vietnam singapore uh, israel tel aviv probably not the first country that comes to mind when we talk about fintech or at least a lot of people are not aware about what's happening in the ecosystem so would want to hear from you on what's happening there what are the innovations that you have seen in israel and how is the market like for a better understanding of that ecosystem um great good question um i think uh, most of the fintechs that are here are focused on uh, innovations around uh, hmm. payments uh not and um, they're coming right now there's we're seeing a new flock of wave of startups that are also trying to focus on lending uh i think there is one unicorn which is famous and he's they're actually operating in india called payoneer which are doing cross border payments um there's also one uh, you know uh fintech unicorn which is called uh, lemonade which is actually innovating on the insurance space but they operate in the US um okay what uh, we're also seeing a lot of unicorn a lot of uh, crypto companies coming out of Israel that are um, working in that space uh we um, but unfortunately they, some of them aren't right in the right context like Celsius which was you know an Israeli US crypto bank that basically went bankrupt um because of the what happened recently on the crypto uh in the crypto space but right. uh, I, i think that there's a lot of great ideas unfortunately not most not all of them um are coming into southeast asia and india in specific and i think that's a big miss for israeli startups um they still don't see um india and southeast asia as, a, as an opportunity to as a big market and i think that's a, the rooted problem is with the uh, vc ecosystem in israel uh when i told them that i'm going to india and i think that's a great market they the first uh, answer that came into their mind more on to the us so i, I told them are not seeing where the innovation is coming from and the opportunity is coming from mm-hmm. uh, and we see a lot of us investors actually putting the money right now in betting on india and uh, the the vcs here are still they still need to be reeducated in a sense that you know there's a big market huge opportunity in india a lot of space to innovate i was actually <clears throat> present in one fintech um event in the us and the question that you know uh, came into mind by one of the um, moderators was how come we're so bad behind you know southeast asia in our fintech innovation 
And the main answer was, you know, the re- it's an overregulated market, the U.S. market. Uh, so I think, you know, here in Israel, what I'm trying to, to convey is like, look, there's a huge opportunity in India. You should, you guys should be, you know, on the planes, you know, just coming in and seeing what happens there. UPI, MPCI, it's, it's a great, all the countries outside of India are adopting this. Mm-hmm. I think this should be like uh, one, you know, one of this, uh, prides and, and and symbols in the Indian flag. I mean, this uh, adoption outside of India by UPI. Um, nobody seems to be paying attention here on this, uh, you know, remarkable achievement. That's what I think. Definitely, I think you made a few great points. Uh, I mean, although a uh, lot of, I mean, in other, a lot of other countries have seen startups building either for the West, building towards US. But when you look at the real opportunity is when there are a lot of people in countries like India, Vietnam and other places where they haven't had access to financial services yet or have a very partial access. And to essentially include them into the financial ecosystem is where the next opportunity lies of index is what I personally feel. Yeah. yeah. If you were to draw uh, parallels between, uh, let's say, the... Israeli landscape around fintech uh, from a perspective of how it has evolved, how the regulations are versus how you have seen the India market evolve or how you see the current state of Indian market, uh, how would it be? So, um, um, one important point, you know, the government here in Israel is trying to um, invest a lot of uh, money and boost the Israeli tech system by giving grants from the Innovation Authority. I think one of the that's one of the main engine drivers of growth of the Israeli startup uh, ecosystem, uh, government support. Um, nonetheless, I mean, I th- this is a small market. We're only nine nine million people. That's not even you know comes into a, a size of Chennai or uh, a tier one city in India. So there's not much room to grow over here. A lot of the startups are always being educated. You need to scale and work in a big global market. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, you know, that I'm seeing is, you know, that, you know, there are government initiatives in India around financial inclusion and uh, boosting investing um, more money on the ecosystem. But I think there's still a gap, you know, in taking the risk. The government, I think, in India needs to invest more and take more risk on startups and uh uh, promote them. I think uh, India by itself, you know, the people that I meet there over and over, Bangalore is like, you know, even better than Silicon Valley. There's a great spirit of entrepreneurs out there, but there are some towns that are not getting the right, you know, attention. I think like, you know, uh, Calcutta, for example, uh, the ecosystem there needs to be much more promoted by the government and more funds needs to go to this kind of a place. Um, so the more the government encourages um, entrepreneurs to take more risk, I think, you know, we'll see even, I think India is like third uh, ranked, you know, among uh, investment in startup ecosystem. Yep. I think it, it's most likely to be, um, you know, competing over the second and first, you know, in the next decades. But uh, the in order for that, you know, that uh, uh, leapfrog to happen, the, the government needs to spend more money on this to promote it. Definitely, I agree. And uh, actually, uh, 
from the fact that go- government needs to invest money the problem is here that the startup founders who are essentially early stage founders are not even aware about the initiatives that are run a lot of initiatives that are run by the government of india so there are a lot of uh, initiatives that earlier we were also as a part of uh, the fintech yatra that we were doing we had the option to essentially you know give grants to startups who are eligible of up to rupees 10 lakhs and uh, 50 lakhs as well and we were running accelerators that would essentially you know do that but building that awareness in the ecosystem was a huge pain like there are so many startups out there but getting the word out to them getting them to apply to that and uh, you know having them come down and pitch for it was another uh, main uh, problem right so even though we had a very hands on model wherein we would go down to various cities and basically talk to these founders face to face we still were probably able to capture just 5% of the active market startup market at that point of time is what i would uh, it's probably just a guesstimate but i think that's probably where we are at so even though there are a lot of initiatives that are announced and they are done in a way which is kind of silent what happens is you will have to either visit a website a government website called startup india and there are there are a lot of nested pages under there where you would go and you'd figure out ki you know if this these are the eligibility criteria and if i fit in there these are the grants that i could apply for these are the accelerators that the government runs so there is also uh, for example something called atal incubation centers that the government runs right and there are almost more than 100 of atal incubation centers out there right now specific thematic uh, centers on various technologies various uh, so some there are it's uh, incubation centers on solar energy renewable energy fintech ai ml and all of that but awareness of that that is this thing actually exists that awareness is uh, pretty low and i think that is also something that needs to be really pushed so it needs yeah, to be market yeah i think um I don't know how you know if there's like innovation programs in universities or colleges. Uh, uh, one channel that I would recommend, you know, is to push this by you know uh, a program, a dedicated program, you know, like uh, a pilot program for any student that does, you know, is graduating his first degree in the university, that he will have some kind of a program around innovation. That's how I think you can actually. penetrate and root the entrepreneurship you know spirit in india through the totally education agree. system totally agree as of now i would say top 5% of universities in india probably have these kind of programs e cells and incubation centers like iims iits and a few other well known institutes but when you dig one level deeper into the tier 2 colleges you wouldn't probably find an active or an impactful e cell they would have something just for the name also for the sake of it but there wouldn't be anything more than paper presentations going on there so that is also something that really needs to be uh, done well awesome so i think that was that was really interesting uh, coming back uh, to what you essentially do right uh, you said that you essentially use gamification to identify whether a person's basically a person's credit worthiness right so would want to know more about that how do you do that what is the kind of game that you essentially make them play and uh, how do you identify uh, the credit worthiness what if you going to take us through the journey a customer journey so um the i think you know just to 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 wrap you know the initial point that uh, i mentioned uh when i mean gaming is the, you know the most lowest common denominator every person on this planet have i mean when we're born as babies our mothers are you know teaching us you know why don't you play even 
that's the <clears throat> uh, earliest interaction that a baby has um <laughs> and i think that's the idea behind it you know everybody all those people who are literate i mean they would know how to sometimes you know engage digital experiences like you know filling out a loan form instead a combination of you know engagement through image selection and then understanding basic behavioral situation is the best way to understand who you are and how you what's your uh, relation to money and your attitudes towards spending what we do is basically give a game which is localized and culturalized and at the end of the day uh, lending is a matter of culture we try to embed as much as cultural elements within the game <clears throat> but um, as a start we actually <clears throat> apologies um, <clears throat> ask the applicant who is playing the game mm -hmm. to select <clears throat> play emojis which you know he best uh, empathize with uh, so for example we have the game into several verticals like uh, go to I mean gig workers in you know tier one cities and rural people so even the outfits are suited to those uh, uh, <clears throat> people mm -hmm. that's one thing you know on the experience and then we ask him to run basically a series of questions or images he needs to select he or she needs to select uh, one image out of a pair of two or a pair of three and through that we can actually decipher something like 10 personality traits Okay. Those 10 personality traits are based on four models of psychology, which we're incorporating into our assessment. Mm -hmm. And one of them is a well-known big five model that is, um, stands for an acronym called OCEAN. And these are openness, consciousness, extraversion, agreeableness, and eroticism, where the consciousness person is the most, you know, uh, trait that we're interested in actually understanding whether the person is minded about his day-to-day -day life obligations tomorrow. He has locus of control of the actions he's about to take. And at the same time, also understand whether the person is aspirational enough to actually grow his business. So it serves two types of personas, basically the entrepreneurial one and basically the one person who knows he needs to pay tomorrow his utility bill. So through the game itself, and we're also embedding numeracy to be, because we found that numeracy, numer numerical abilities uh, mm -hmm. do correlate with intent to repay. So after that three minute game is over, we actually give the borrower some kind of a personality assessment uh, as an added value for him, you know, for playing the game. And then we send also a score to the lender in the back end. <clears throat> that actually is the one thing that differentiates us because Within three minutes, we can take somebody who doesn't have anything, I mean, no past performance, nothing, and make him, you know, credit worthy. That's that's the major thing. I, I also want to add that, you know, I think that, you know, banks, specifically banks I'm talking here, are getting the idea that, you know, gaming is the next best engagement that, you know, uh, they can have with their audiences. Cool. Uh, I also think that they're losing a, a great opportunity market with teens. So 
teens worldwide, you know, from the age of 10 to 18 are playing mobile games and they're playing all days on uh, these kind of uh, computer games. Um, I think that the next bank has to actually look at, you know, becoming a, a game. The onboarding will be entirely there. And you know, if you, it's enough to see DBS Bank, for example, looking at the metaverse to actually entertain this kind of an experience and onboarding to understand that this is the next thing. Now, if banks don't look and pay attention to a segment of, of those teens, another entrepreneur, a fintech entrepreneur can come and take it over and he can mm -hmm. build a game that actually addresses that. We're also seeing that in India. I think yep. there are some you know, fintech platforms that are looking at teens and I think banks should be, you know, be cautious and they should, you know, collaborate with this kind of fintechs uh, because the, India is a young country and a lot of those people, they can become a captive audience of those fintechs. No, true, I completely agree with you. Uh, so there, there are a few uh, successful uh, fintechs that have actually tapped into the teens market and uh, enable them to spend using a card, using the prepaid card model or a junior account model and these have been fairly successful with the gamification and the kind of marketing that these guys are doing on the social media platforms but uh, the way probably the way also we probably all you know kind of uh, see this moving forward is that these kind of fintechs won't be able to do any of these without partnership with banks right because in India the way these regulations have been structured ultimately what is happening is these fintechs are riding on bank stacks be it a prepaid card that is taken using a PPI license or a bank's license or be it a savings account that these guys enable these kids to open once they become 18. So that is also using a neo bank stack. So in India, there is no true neo, uh, no true neo bank. Everything is essentially linked to a bank's API and you open an account with the bank and you become just the experience layer over it. You cannot ultimately become someone who takes deposits and keeps it with yourself and then uh, you know do it that way the way it happens in uh, a few other countries that i've seen so that kind of won't take away the entire market from or uh, the banks per se but what will happen is bank will lose control of the way their customers experience their products because there will be an experience layer in between right so the control will probably you know kind of move away from banks to fintechs you know, I have a, a maybe a, a, a rebel uh, <laughs> agree, uh, you know, opinion on this. I think sure. uh, the regulator in that case, the I mean, and we see it also here in Israel. I mean, they're more into protecting banks rather than protecting or giving the opportunities to the population. I mean, that's the people. And I think uh, that kind of a stand needs to change. And we're seeing a lot of you know senior politics politicians talking about you know growth and gdp that can only happen when you change your mindset and you decide okay i want to be truthful with my intentions and if i want to make things happen and reform then i should give a chance to those neo banks and give a chance to those populations to actually grow uh, that's how you you actually make innovation happen and if you don't want to take that, at least be truthful with your, you know, your narratives and messages and saying, you know, let's calm down. Um, I can understand that, you know, in terms of recession or when, you know, the 
there's a global you know, turmoil in the um, in the financial world and we're seeing right now. So they don't want to take any risk. But going forward, I think that's uh, <clears throat> that's the preferred way that uh, you know central banks needs to adopt and you know make innovation happen. Otherwise, other countries we know will be front runners. Sorry. Yeah. So no, I totally agree with you. The innovation push needs also to come from the central regulator and they need yeah. to kind of foster the, you know, uh, foster the ecosystem as well. Yeah, and I saw a few days back, you know, the, the governor of the central bank in India is saying, we're behind you, fintechs. Uh, that was mm-hmm. more or less the narratives. But uh, let's put that into action. <laughs> agree, agree. Yes, the problem, the problem there is that uh, it has to be a balance of essentially, you know, protecting people's interest versus uh, protecting innovation. Normally, what happens is if the innovation, the I mean, in most other countries, this is a case wherein the regulator is always playing catch up with the innovation, right? Something new innovative will come out. It will uh, go around for almost six months a year. It will catch the regulator's eyes. They will figure out what's happening. They'll have a uh, panel of experts sit on it, brainstorm on it, try to figure out what part of it are actually beneficial for the customer, where can the most frauds and everything happen, and then try to converge it into a guideline or a white paper or an operating manual kind of a situation for Vintex. And then that guidelines will be uh, imposed so that everyone adheres to it and the consumer interest is protected. And, you know, there is no, what is it? These kind of technologies essentially don't create monopolies is also what they try to uh, you know make it in such a way that existing businesses are not completely disrupted so these is a very this is a kind of a very difficult situation to balance for anyone and i'm sure uh, probably regulators all the regulators are having really tough time with it i mean cryptocurrency is something that has been around since almost six years and a lot of regulators are not able to figure out their stance on it yeah but india is a superpower in crypto we we yeah, see yeah. definitely it could take it away the power from the government it's as simple as that if, if uncontrolled i mean you can't control it i mean i think in one point of time you know the the regulator will have to say okay yeah i mean uh, all those uh wasi rigs and uh, polygon they're all coming out from india i mean you cannot i mean that's that's one of the things that you, the new opportunity for india the regulator should be proud of that, you know, and encourage them. I mean, this is an innovation that's coming out in India and it's coming out big worldwide. A lot of entrepreneurs are looking out to them and you should, you know, find a place, you know, to adopt it, uh, not to discourage them. Uh, banks are not everything. I mean, th- these guys are creating a huge thing. No, definitely. I completely agree with you on that. Uh, but probably one thing that really you know makes that difference is the trust factor that stays with, with between the customers and the banks is not something that is being uh, able to establish between the new age fintechs and the customers right so if that trust factor is not there the adoption essentially kind of uh, drops out or only the the most savvy people are benefiting from adopting these technologies while the people who are not able to trust these entities kind of either are missing out or are being forced to adopt technologies or uh, adopt fintech models that they are not trusting. So that is another equation that probably would need balancing as well. Mm, yeah, but we see Paytm, for example, 
they're doing quite very well, you know, razor pay, um, Bharat pay. They're actually making a successful, you know, big time models. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, like everything, you know, the public, you know, needs to give trust and then, you know, needs to give credit. And sometimes th- these things don't work out from the very first beginning. You need to be patient. Uh, overall, I think uh, they'll be quite successful. Um, I, I think banks then don't have any other way than collaborating with those uh, big fintechs. True, I think true. they'll acquire and, and adopt them. No, I completely agree. I mean, uh, if you ask me personally, the future would probably be more on the collaborative side rather than both of them operating uh, or competing with each other or operating in an isolated silos. It will basically be a lot of collaboration between the fintechs and the banks going forward. Yeah, and, and just to add on this, you know, I think banks are trying to encourage, you know, um, you know opening business units that are, that are basically startups within the banks. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen, you know, this taking off. I know Citibank has, has tried this, you know, but uh, didn't hear of any good, you know, successful initiative of a, of a new product that came out from that, you know, internal uh, startup unit. Agreed, agreed. I mean, it probably will take a lot of time for it to be taken seriously by the banks and kind of worked on uh, the, that way. So when you when you talk about uh, startup units, it's, are you talking about accelerators over here or are you talking about uh, more about, you know, just fostering your own startup, in, uh, fostering an uh, entire startup inside the bank's ecosystem? No, fostering, you know, the second option, fostering the entire startup uh, ecosystem within the bank. The, the bank would select, yeah. you know, people who are working at the bank and then, you know, encourage them to uh, participate in a uh, to answer a, a few painting pain problems that the bank is uh, having and then he would invest <clears throat> time and these people you know they would not own the ips the bank mm. would but they okay. would get some kind of you know an experience as entrepreneurs so like an or like basically an entire startup inside the bank working on a problem exactly for the exactly so I haven't seen, I, I personally also haven't uh, observed any specific uh, this thing, like these kind of uh, models, really anything impactful, anything noticeable as of now come out of it as of now. You'll probably get to see in the next couple of years, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think that that would happen. Yeah. But the main thing is that emergence of these kind of models or at least, uh, you know, the fact that banks are now ready to experiment with these kind of models internally and foster internal innovation is also something that's really commendable because that will uh, at least enable a lot of uh, what do you say unstructured thinking or probably you know say differential thinking rather than the normal uh, process oriented thinking that normally goes along in these banks right so that could probably you know bring up a lot of new products yeah i think you know banks i think icici is the closest one you know to doing this kind of a thing um, they're putting a lot of uh, efforts uh, and resources on this. Got it, got it. Uh, I think this has been a really interesting conversation, Yathir. Uh, we probably are also out of time. Uh, before we kind of close this, would want to hear from you. What are your views on next five years of fintech uh, globally as well as the markets that you're working in India, Israel? How do you see these markets evolving over the next five years or the next decade? What sector would you think dominated and so on? Um, 
So I'm quite bullish, you know, on the crypto and the gaming um, element. I think this would be leading the new economy. I think, you know, uh, the combination of gaming and crypto is, is a major thing that, you know, everybody should, you know, pay attention to. Um, I think it could, you know, help economies, especially like India, but also in Africa. I think working, uh, you know, across uh, Southeast Asia, India and Africa, I see that, you know, India is leading the innovation, um, is even, I think, leading into by far some developed economies like uh, even uh, the U.S. Uh, there's a lot of great in you know, the a lot of room for innovation, uh, you know, in India and encouraging the, the startup ecosystem. And I think uh, once the crypto is much more settled and regulated in India, I think uh, th this could be like, you know, uh, the leading nation in the world uh, around cross-border lending, cross-border payments, and, um, you know, actually new models of banking that could evolve from India. In Africa, I think, uh, there's a lot, a lot to explore and discover. We're mm -hmm. all, we're, we're present in Nigeria and in Kenya, and Kenya having to you know a leading superpower, a local superpower in uh, in lending. Mm -hmm. um, but the, uh, unlike India, I think Africa is like 20 years behind India. There's uh, mm -hmm. some more room, you know, for uh, penetrations of technologies like smartphones and internet. Um, but I think they have less problem. Um, with the regulator, um, as in India, so maybe some kind of innovations can you know succeed over there, but but may not succeed in India. Uh, for one one example is Mpesa that we saw uh -huh. it was quite successful in Kenya, um, True. but did not fly um, as expected in India. That's what I think. And for us, you know, what we want to do, we basically want to innovate the entire credit space become mm -hmm. the next global alternative credit bureau we think that you know we can bring you know unique unfair advantage at least in the cross-border lending and help students that are moving for example from india to the us and get credit right. while others you know those transunions and equifax won't be able to do that got it got it no, i think that is that is super interesting I completely agree with you on the African piece as well. I mean, Africa has a lot of opportunity since there is very little penetration as of now. And uh, those probably are one of the most innovative people that I've seen. I mean, the kind of models that I've seen uh, coming out of there when you talk about fintech or when you even talk about renewable energy and other lot of, lot of other pieces as well. I mean, those people are the most frugal entrepreneurs that I've seen around here. And uh, that is that is probably the best kind of innovation right if you if if the frugality is driving innovation you will probably make sure that you are not essentially emphasizing a lot more on uh, the bells and whistles but probably on the core problem and you're solving it in the most cost efficient way and that cost efficient way is something that could be applied to a wider market versus a solution that is more uh, cost intensive because that won't be applicable everywhere so it'll probably have a more wider adoption so I'm super excited, probably bullish on Africa as well. Uh, I'll probably be more bullish on Vietnam as well. Vietnam, uh, I've seen a lot of innovation coming in, but I think there is a room for a lot more Vietnam and Philippines as well. And uh, 
Yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, thank you so much. It was great having you here. Got to learn a lot and some great insights as well. Thank you so much for your time, Yathir. Thank you. Thank you.